It's episode 110 of Herpetological Highlights. My name's Tom Major and co-hosting me as per usual is Ben Marshall. And in episode 110, we have got an exciting paper actually about ants and snakes. And, you know, you're probably wondering how ants and snakes are related to each other. Well, the ways might surprise you. It could be quite a complicated relationship that we're going to describe. I certainly found this uh, study to be pretty cool and exciting. And I can't actually think of another time we've had an opportunity to talk about ants, Ben. I feel like the only context ants have come up in is when they're getting their heads bitten off by uh, Typhlops. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. That really is the only time we mention them when they're being eaten and consumed by blind snakes and actually in fairness that this hasn't paper changed. <laughs> hasn't really yeah that is kind of what's going on um although you know there's a little bit more to it sometimes some frogs eat them sometimes we're talking about uh the frogs that consume ants and uh take some of the toxins that the ants have produced and use it for the synthesization of their own toxins and that sort of uh strange system there for, for toxin generation for some frogs that's true so ants have come up a few times but it tends to be ants really just being victimized by animals which we are talking about so i guess in that respect this isn't that different but this paper is by uh, jono kojima and mizuno 2019 novel cooperative anti-predator tactics of an ant specialized against a snake I said that sentence in a weird way, but you get the idea. Royal Society Open Science, this is published in. And we're talking about an ant from Madagascar called a Phenogaster Swamadami. Yeah. What a name. What a name. Um, the reason it's called a Phenogaster Swamadami is because it's named after a Dutch biologist called Jan Swamadam who lived in the 1600s and carried out the first anatomical studies of social insects. So, yeah, he's got another... There's a few species named after this particular naturalist. He, he never actually visited Madagascar, uh, but still had this species named after him. There's also a big fat scorpion that's got Swamadami as the uh, <laughs> species epithet. Um, it's just fun to say as well. I, you know, we don't really care about patronyms on this podcast, but I think Swamadami. I mean, yeah, it rolls I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, it really does. Um, but Swamadami, this uh, Aphenogaster Swamadami. Is there a common name that I can use to refer to this ant? I haven't written one down. Um, I think that I was just looking. Um, at, I was just looking at pictures of them, and I was. They look like your standard ant. Maybe long, quite a slim, long ant. as ants go? Yeah, long legs. Long leggies, I, I just said. I'm not seeing any sort of um, yeah. common People who name. study arthropods don't usually waste their time with common names. Well, there's too there's many. too many of them, yeah. Well, I mean, for the purposes of this paper and for onward discussion, you can just say ant, because it's not like we're dealing with multiple species of ant, and mm. just go okay. from there. So in future, when I say ant, I'm of course referring to a Phenogaster swamadami from Madagascar. Right. So they're a eusocial ant, which means uh, they live in colonies. Um, the, the idea behind eusocial animals is that they live in these large multi-generational family groups 
where most of the individuals don't reproduce. So, you know, this is animals which live in colonies like bees and ants, but they work to sort of feed and provide for the ones that do reproduce. And um, usually it's just one or a few individuals, i.e. the queen, who has all the babies. And there's like different sort of classes of ant that do different jobs. You've got worker ants, you've got some ants that work in the sort of nursery. They look after the babies. You've got ants that go out hunting. You've got ants that do the protecting, all that kind of stuff. Um, but most of the ants don't reproduce. They're just sort of looking after the the big ant in the middle that does reproduce. And in this species, the nest can be up to 1,500 individuals. So, you know, nice nice size ant, ant's nest. Probably not so big that the ants don't all know each other, but um, <laughs> quite large. And <laughs> Although, do you actually have a gauge of how many ants other ants can recognise? <laughs> Are they like sheep? Uh, they yeah. can recognise a hundred other sheep faces. Is that true for sheep? It's 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 a number higher than you would expect for for sheep, and I think there are even well, I, there's a whole there's a whole study on them being able to recognise more sheep faces than human faces, or something along those lines. Well, I, I would imagine that to sheep we all look alike because when I look at a sheep, I don't. They all look the same to me. Do you know what I mean? You can really only pick out the facial characteristics of your sort of <sighs> species, right? I don't know. What do you say? I don't know. You can I mean, tell I... dogs apart, can't you? Yeah, that's true. But we've co-evolved with dogs. Yeah? In some ways, I suppose. Yeah, no, that is a good Sheep point. Sheep have co-evolved with us in, in certainly domestic species, uh, breeds. I wonder. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't, I'd never thought about sheep recognising faces. If anything, I would have thought they could recognise more than 100 other sheep faces. Oh, gosh. I, um, you, you're, you're putting me on the spot in terms of the actual numbers now, but I cannot. No, it's fine. Uh, so, yeah. We've got the situation where these ants and these ants, their nest is like a hole. It's um, it's quite a big hole, actually. Like you could fit your hand down there if you were trying to get your hand in there. Um, it looks just like a, a hole on the surface. And uh, underneath there's this ant colony. Um, the pupae, the eggs and the larvae are kept underground. It's nice and safe down there. And the other ants are kind of mooching around on the surface. But in this area of Madagascar that the uh, Aphenogaster swamadami inhabits, there is also a large blind snake and blind snakes, as you mentioned earlier, Ben, are quite renowned for their delight in eating the pupae, eggs and larvae of ants. Delicious. And this one's no different. Yeah, they like to eat the ant brood, um, which is the eggs, larvae and pupae. And I've said it's a large blind snake. I mean, that is relative. It's large relative to other blind snakes. Which are it's quite a small. tiny. <laughs> yeah, they're generally tiny. I mean, tiny enough to slither around in ants' nests. So, yeah, but this one is quite big. It's sort of a bit thicker than a, a normal pencil and maybe twice as long, which is pretty big for a, for a blind snake. And as I've said, it likes to eat the ant brood. Um, you know, this is a snake, or at least... Um, Many blind snakes can eat thousands of ants, eggs, larvae and pupae in one sitting. But this particular species that's inhabiting this region of Madagascar is called Mocard's worm snake, Madatyphlops decorsii. Yeah, so this, uh, this, this worm snake, this blind snake is trying to eat the babies of the ants. Uh, but there is another snake that kind of complicates the situation. There's another species of snake that lives locally called the Malagasy cat-eyed snake, which is Madagascarophis colubrinus. And this snake, people in Madagascar actually call it the ant mother because it's commonly found in the nest of ants. And it's also been <laughs> I, lo I love recorded. names like that that speak to, as you know, we'll, we'll chat about in this paper, that sort of speak to 
little bits of the ecology of the species, but in a very like I don't know, animals sort of working together thing. It, it's something that you don't see as frequently when everything's seen through the eyes of like competition and and sort of dog eat dog sort of harsh natural selection. So it's nice when you get these softer views of uh, natural yeah. relationships or trophic I interactions. Think symbi- yeah, symbiosis, which is what you've just described, is always really nice to read about because, I don't know, it's kind of gratifying, like you say, to think that other animals might perceive other animals as friends or at least sort of colleagues rather than just yes. enemies to be somehow defeated over the course of <laughs> it, means it, it just know. helps enrich the way you can think about animals and the way animals obviously think about like interspecies sort of yeah interactions whatever it's 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 brilliant yeah because there was that thing recently saying that um the baby wolves so wolf pups and ravens or was it crows some kind of corvid could be friends and that the 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 crows whatever they were um would play with the baby wolves and it was just purely for fun and it's like they know each other and they're mates and there's like a bit of a symbiosis there because i think uh the the kind of crows will find a dead animal and they'll just sort of like hover around it and then the wolves see that and the wolves go in but obviously the wolves have got much more powerful jaws and teeth than the crows so they can like break the carcass apart and then they can all share it so that's a nice little relationship a nice little symbiosis yeah, i think it's but yeah so just quick google i think you are talking ravens ravens mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah i should really i should really get my corvids right when i'm talking to you luckily <laughs> they are all different you can't just call a, a, a raven a crow um but yeah that's i think mean, that's a nice example isn't it so um there is there are these kind of symbioses going on and this ant mother snake is kind of thought maybe there's some kind of symbiosis going on here. So the authors wanted to find out whether or not the ants would behave differently when they were approached, or at least when a snake was put into the nest. Uh, so they wanted to compare what happens when they poke a mocard's worm snake down there, predator, and when they poke the Malagasy cat-eyed snake down the nest, the ant mother. Alle- alleged ants- ant mother at this point, the alleged right? Ant because mother. we're still yeah. dealing with a blind snake, which I've exceptionally good at consuming ants <laughs> yeah 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 and so you got these two snakes um but then there was also a third snake that because the experiment is to put the snakes down the ant hole and they needed like a sort of control snake that they didn't think the ants had a pre-existing relationship with or at least that didn't really seem to interact with the ants on yeah. an average day yeah. and so in order to fu- what did they choose they got a thamnophis thamnosophis lateralis the lateral water snake, which is this like stripy, stripy water snake, it looks a bit like a garter snake, and it eats frogs. So it shouldn't be the case that this is a, a threat because it doesn't like ants, it likes frogs. Yeah. And well, the idea is that you've got two snakes that the ants are going to be very, very familiar with, and one which is going to sort of represent just sort of generic response to something snake like. You know mm-hmm. how how are the ants dealing with something that's just snake-like? So you, if you've got something that's similar, it's at least a point of comparison, right? Exactly. And so 
Once they'd collected all these snakes, they found them all in the wild and they put them back at the end. They caught the um, Malagasy cat-eyed snakes by just hunting around, picking them up. Same for the uh, lateral water snakes. The blind snakes they caught with pitfall traps. So dig a hole, put a bucket in it, wait for the snake to fall silly in. old snake to fall oh. in. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a bucket, my worst nightmare. And so... Once they captured all the snakes, it was time to do the experiment. And to do this, they put a camera above a bunch of ant holes. And then they introduced the snakes one by one, one per day, just to see how the ants would react. And they recorded the behavior of the ants when approached by these different species of snake. Yeah. So what do we have? I mean, I feel like we start with the blind snake because this is the most interesting. And... Basically, as soon as the blind snake is introduced, you get this dramatic reduction in the ants running about on the top of the uh, top of the nest. So they all seem to retreat back into the into the ant nest, and uh, get in the hole. Well, like a minute or so later, they'll start re-emerging, carrying their their pupa and and larvae with this massive evacuation of uh, the <laughs> you know young sort of, are they unborn if they're pupa and just recently born if they're larva i suppose i don't know but yeah either way the young know. ants are transported out in this massive evacuation to get them away from this it must be a terrifying experience yeah literally it's, it's, it's amazing to see huge, all the ants mobilized this huge creature coming slivering into your home ready to consume your young and you go grab them get them out <laughs> run for yeah. the exits and like anything an ant colony does it's so sort of it's so well conducted they're all just like right okay mission is get all the the little baby ants out of here and as soon as they start coming out they start climbing up little twigs and bushes nearby and sort of getting some elevation where they know the snake can't get them. yeah and we're talking like three and a half minutes later the numbers start reducing down so i suppose it's sort of they've gotten the majority out in like three and a half minutes so yeah. rapid and evacuation the video is pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, you see this hand come along and then the snake, the snake obviously just wants to get away from the hand that's holding it. So it tries to get down the hole and yeah, immediately the ants start to mobilize. Instantly. So when faced with their, the predator of their young, the ants perform a mass evacuation, which is pretty crazy. But it's also they, temporary. It's a temporary evacuation until the threat is passed. They're not abandoning the nest here. This is just sort of get everybody out and safe. Wait for the blind snake to have moved on. And then return. They did also do a little bit of biting of that snake as well, didn't they? But not not too much. A little bit of biting, but not insane amounts. It wasn't like the main focus of their Yeah, no, I think it, it, it does feel like evacuation was prioritised over dissuade this snake. Because I would suspect that predators are specialised towards eating a certain type of prey, and that prey has a certain defence mechanism. Predator is going to have a level of resistance or uh, tolerance for that sort of uh, defensive behaviour if, if it's trying to dissuade them or trying to actually incapacitate them. Yeah, I mean, if you were seeing a, a blind snake coming into your nest from the perspective of an ant, just this, like, gigantic, indifferent titan coming in, mm-hmm. all there is to do is scatter and run with the babies. So that's what happens. And then they tried the lateral water snake, which is the... 
should we do the lateral water snake next? And now that doesn't really make sense. Let's do the uh, let's do the ant mother next. So when they put the ant, the so-called ant mother, uh, <laughs> the Malagasy, <laughs> it's so good. The Malagasy cat-eyed snake. When they put one of them in, um, they just didn't care. The ants were like, "Yeah, this is chill. No biting, we're fine. No evacuation. Was it no biting? Was it zero biting? No biting. Is it nothing? They didn't mind. But they there was this like moment of investigation and checking out you know basically checking the identity of this newfound occupant <laughs> of the nest and then uh, yeah chilling out and went about their regular daily ant lives yeah so the ant mother whatever not fuss welcomes to the nest um and there's one final species they tried, like we said, the frog-eating snake, the lateral water snake. They put that down there and they started biting it. They didn't really like it. They didn't bite it like... Well, no, they did. They bit it loads, didn't they? They did bite it loads. Um, they actually bit it more than the blind snake. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it not significantly more, but raw numbers more. It was essentially the same, statistically indistinguishable from the amount they, they bit the blind snake, I believe. Oh, okay. So it was just biting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you got the situation where... They they recognize they seemingly recognize the ant mother as not a threat, gets ignored. The random snake that they're not sure about. <laughs> we're not sure. Bite, 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 bite. When it's worth the one Yeah, it's worth noting that the sort of level of ants outside, you know, actively helping defend the nest sort of remains relatively steady for those for those two. For the non you know, <laughs> for the non blind snakes. So it's either normal uh situation with the ant mother snake or uh, in the case of this sort of non-control snake this non-fret snake this regular just something's in the nest or something's coming into the nest we've got to get rid of it again sort of relatively stable number slight slight reduction outside but nothing nothing dramatic so it is activity shifts depending on the snake but there's none of this like sudden reaction you're seeing when the blind snake arrives. Right. Yeah. They don't immediately mobilize to the same extent. Yeah. There was a little, I, I think there's a little bit of sort of reaction with the, um, the water snake, but you know, it, it just, it's, it's nothing compared, nothing compared to the blind snake reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what makes this interesting is that um, the ant mother has actually been recorded eating blind snakes. So the theory that these authors are working on, I think it's actually only one recorded instance of the ant mother, the Malagasy cat-eyed snake, yeah. eating a, um, a blind snake. But then there's not been a huge amount of study into the diet of that species, as far as I can tell. So they do, there is this kind of likely explanation that the reason that they're cool with the cat-eyed snake being there is because there's a likelihood that if a if a blind snake comes it will get eaten right so it's sort of mutual you can almost expect cat-eyed snake benefiting from being near nest ant nests because of the increased chance of coming across a blind snake ants don't mind because they're not having their <laughs> young consumed and they just sort of can work around it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's amazing what ants can do. Um, you know, there's so much stuff out there about ants and how they sort of follow the various chemical trails and they can accomplish all sorts of cooperative feats, building rafts, becoming a raft. Um, <laughs> you know, 
digging out, excavating these amazing channels, hunting insane large prey items. And now they're also able to distinguish between the different types of possible predators and behave accordingly, which is really cool. And I wonder if even just having the smell of a Malagasy cat-eyed snake near the hole is enough to deter the smooth snakes. It's only, it would be fair to blind snakes. study that next. Yeah. Sorry, blind snakes. Yeah, it would be fair to study that next. Like, are, you know, are blind snakes disinclined to enter holes which have recently had a Malagasy cat-eyed snake mm-hmm. enter? Maybe, maybe so. That would be a cool next step for this study. But um, it just goes to show that, you know, you walk past an ant's nest in Madagascar, you might not think that much of it, a little hole in the ground. But yeah, the ants in there are ready and prepared for any eventuality. Yeah, and they sort of end the paper with a couple of sort of notes mentioning how sort of unique this is, I suppose, for, for vertebrates. Because um, I've seen evacuation, there's another species of this, this genus of ant in the in uh, America that has cooperative evacuation when army ants arrive, but it hasn't really been seen for uh, vertebrates in the same way. And cool. a sort of suggestion, oh, if it's ancestrally shared or something like that, and it's is it the same driver and it's just an adaptation of that behavior for a vertebrate versus a you know an invertebrate with with the army ants or whether it's sort of uniquely evolved you know something plastic that comes about depending on environment there's a lot more sort of evolutionary you know where did this behavior come from sort of questions um that that come out of this paper and i think what's kind of also super neat um they have a little bit of caveated with, although no experimental evidence exists to support their symbiosis, of uh, Leohetrodon uh, modestus being seen hanging out round the entrance of these ants' nests too. So, I don't know, maybe it's not just this cat-eyed snake, maybe it's other species of snake that are happy to consume blind snakes, making use mm. of this this... Ant's ability to recognise what's a threat and what's not a threat, and, and adjust their response accordingly. Hmm. Yeah, the uh, Leohetrodon modestus is uh, one of the Malagasy hognose snakes. Yeah. It's uh, bl- the blonde hognose yeah. snake, and yeah, yeah, they eat snakes as well, do they? Well, they. I'm not super positive. I. I mean, they're vertebrate eating. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, they probably I do. Wouldn't put it past a smaller one to take sort of blind snakes. That doesn't seem too. You know, in terms of compatibility of prey size and shape, <laughs> it's, mm. blind snakes are pretty it, pretty easy for other snakes to eat, I imagine. But um, I don't know. I don't know if there is any evidence of them taking blind mm. snakes in particular. They also mentioned that it could be that the the snakes aren't actually beneficial to the ants. They just like being in the ants' nests, and the right. snakes have some kind of chemical camouflage that the ants don't recognise as any kind of a threat. Um, so it could just be that the ants nests, which obviously are underground, maintaining a really nice, consistent temperature, the kind of thing that snakes love and a uh, nice bit of humidity down there as well. It could be that the ant mothers are actually just hanging out in there They're because it's chilling. safe for them yeah. and it's not a mutualism, but well, it's, it's a, a way nicer story if it's a mutualism. Yes, there's a so it's either mutualism, like active cooperation sort of thing, where they're both benefiting, or it's this commensalism communalism commensalism, commensalism yeah. where they're just sort of happening to live side by side 
in a non-antagonistic way, but there's not sort of mutual benefit. The benefits only sort of sit one way. Hmm. And that would be the, the I, snake benefiting and the ants just whatever. Being tricked into not caring or, or actually not caring. I think they're friends. Um, <laughs> I hope so. I, I hope, hope so. so. I really it's a lovely hope so. little case study. And it's, oh, it's fascinating. And just the idea of a ant being fully capable of recognizing the species of snake arriving in its, uh, in its nest is awesome. Hmm. Yeah. So from a species or a bunch of species of snakes going into holes to a new species of lizard, which has, I think prefers, prefers boulders and rocks. Yeah. Absolutely. Bears no connection whatsoever <laughs> to ants yeah. or small snakes. <laughs> and now a tenuous link. And so, uh, yeah, let's talk about our species of the bi week. We have got a paper by Dioca, Castrena, Villanueva, Canseco, Marquez, and Campbell, 2022, a new species of Xenosaurus from the Sierra de Juarez of Oaxaca, Mexico, Herpetologica, this was published in. And uh, yeah, brand new species of Xenosaurus. Anything with Xeno in the name, always cool. Reminds us of the film Alien. We like that. And this one's coming from the Sierra de Juarez in north central Oaxaca, which is in Mexico. And they're commonly referred to as knob scaled lizards. Hence the knobbiness. Well, and the, and the Xenosaurus ness, right? Xeno got... just means like different, doesn't it? Yeah, because you've got Xenoderma. As in, like, the dragon scale snakes, which have Zeno in. So I'm just drawing yeah. that connection of that's how it's being used. I think Zeno just means different. So the name just means different, different lizard. lizard. Well, oh. I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's fine by me. But this is, um, this is a species which is found at quite high elevations, between 1,400 and 1,800 metres. We're in this belt of cloud forest, so... Yeah, it's nice. It's sort of very humid, low cloud, in the clouds, really. Of course, um, we're back to the very cloud wet. forests. I feel like they are yeah. between the cast landscapes of sort of southern China and the uh, cloud forests of central tropical areas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like got to be where 90% of the species of the bi-weeks come from. Easy. Yeah, and uh, this one's got a really cool name, I have to say. Um, they've named it Xenosaurus Manipulus. And that Manipulus bit is a Latin noun for a subdivision of the ancient Roman legion composed of either 60 or 120 men and the origin of the modern word maniple. And if you Google the word maniple, you'll see that it's sort of... Um, I mean, it's quite hard to describe, to be honest. It's kind of like... Uh, it's almost like the way bricks Man are laid. Yeah. Wow. That's that's great. Yeah. It really is the way bricks are laid. That's a perfect but description. Out a so little bit more. I would like that's that's. Yeah. So you've got like a row of bricks with spaces between them, and then behind them, kind of in the gaps, is another row of bricks, 
and then behind them right. in the gaps. Yeah. So you've got like three and then th- maybe three below and then they're sort of slightly offset and then the right. three below that are offset again. And that's called a maniple. Uh, and the reason they've named it manipulus is because that formation is quite similar to the arrangement of the tubercles, <laughs> the paravertebral tubercles to be specific. Um, what does that even mean? What is a paravert- just for paravertebral tubercle, l- Ben? Tell the audience, what is that? Lumpy bits on their back, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> They've got these lovely yeah. little, like, um, not quite as dense as something like a beaded lizard, but uh, same sort of idea. Yeah. Although I'm not sure if they're, I mean, they're not going to be bone, they're scale, as opposed to lumpy-headed beaded lizards that have lumpy bones too don't they yeah don't know yeah doesn't look like it's got lumpy bones should we talk about what it does look like to me it almost looks like a tiny mini savannah monitor with that massive head and like little sort of skinny legs and tail yeah yeah i'm seeing i'm seeing what you're going for with a with a body sort of shape and proportions and head proportions but the head like we are talking a much grumpier stubbier looking head than a you know that's 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 a brutish looking lizard <laughs> it is yeah with it's big red eye that's the other thing bright red eye like as red as yeah it's like a jewel it's incredible as red yeah it's extremely red eye and I'm, i don't know why they would have a red eye but the um how big is this snake it's uh, number one not a snake but it's about 10 centimeters <laughs> uh sbl you sure it's not a snake? Ben? I mean, really, what it what is a snake if not just a lizard? Uh, well, that I mean, that's true. That is true. Um, yeah. So yeah, what ten centimeters long mm-hmm. in the body with a sort of tail, tail a bit longer than the body even. Yeah, so tail, total tail length is sort of around twenty centimeters. Yeah, like another yeah another ten. So, mm. but yeah, nice little uh, nice little lizard. Pretty unusual looking. Um, not really much known about the ecology of this species, although they do mention that the other species in the genus tend to do things like hanging out in rock crevices, mooching around boulders. Sax- some of them saxicolus like saxicolus lifestyle. Saxicolus mm. lifestyle, yeah, on the rocks. Did um, you say it was stripy? I didn't mention the fact it was it stripy. Is stripy, beautifully stripy too. So we're talking a brown, overall brown lizard, but with these sort of pale yellow brown uh, v-shaped stripes on the back which are sort of uh, edged with a much darker brown near black and all the what did you call them para para something tubercles they tend to be darker yeah the paravertebral yeah, tubercles little lumpy bits tend to be darker too and it fades into this gorgeously striped uh, striped tail very classic lizard having a stripy tail to presumably draw attention to a less valuable piece of lizard to be bitten but yeah yeah not a lot else to say about it really like i say the ecology is a bit of a mystery um they do tend to be pretty mysterious yeah, if they just, haven't been found just for, been described or described for this long yeah yeah stage one find the snake so lizard yeah yeah it's uh they do mention that it's a a, a crevice dwelling species that is generally ignored by humans so at least that's something good <laughs> yeah no, that's a that's a plus. Just live yeah. its little rock dwelling life in peace. Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. I think that wraps up our episode on ants and a brand new species. Um, have you got any other business? I do actually. We have the um, 
the paper detailing Bungaris movements on uh, a sort of university campus in, in uh, northeast Thailand is now out and about in uh, scientific reports, freely available and able to read. So if you cared about reading about Bungaris and didn't care about reading the preprint, but now suddenly do care because it's been all properly peer-reviewed, typeset and published, you can go read it. I've read it and it's very cool. I encourage everyone else to read it. Congratulations, Ben, and all your co-authors. Yeah, great to see. Uh, no, Cameron, Cameron great. did great work with that. Huge amounts of tracking, huge amounts of effort. You know you know how hard it is tracking snakes. And uh, he did fantastic work <laughs> building a really great data set and come out with a very nice paper. Yeah, congratulations, Cameron, because uh, that's his master's that is his work, master's isn't work, it? Yeah. So, yeah, really, I mean, you're really absolutely killing it nice. if you're getting papers like that out of your master's. Cherry on top. Yeah, yeah, big up. No, I, it's always really great to see stuff coming out of Thailand, and I just love that the cheeky little crates are cruising around uh, the university campus. It's just, it, it really, I, I can relate to it strongly because the Escalapian snakes that I study, they, they, they're little building little fans rascals. as well. Yeah, hiding under buildings, <laughs> yeah. hiding in roofs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh yeah wicked um excellent so i think if you want to get in touch with us you can herphighlights at gmail.com is our email we're on social media and the only other thing i should add i've got one more one more um uh any other business and that is we've got some new patrons so thank you very much to nathan schwartz and paul duran thanks guys massively appreciate you thanks Huge very much thank indeed you, yeah and yeah i think all the else uh, if you want to become our patron yourself you can the link's in the show notes and we obviously massive thanks to all the patrons um it's very generous of you to support the show and we hugely appreciate it so thanks and with all that i think all that remains to be said is thanks for listening yeah, thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>